0: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Coltech Austin Tech Leaders podcast and interview series. I'm um, Patrick Waits, the co-founder of, uh, of Coltech. And uh, today I've got the great pleasure of being joined by Mike Cuvian, the CTO for The Kazoo. Uh, Mike brings 20 plus years of experience as a, a veteran, a software development expert, certified network and systems engineer, a leader and professional across a number of different projects over his time working within the tech market. He's currently, as I mentioned, the CTO of the kazoo which is uh, an employee experience platform which brings together everything you need to create a high-performing connected culture regardless of where your employees work or what device they use so mike oh, that's a brief intro for me it'd be really really great obviously just to get a bit, a bit more of an introduction from yourself tell the listeners a little bit more about you and your business and your experiences so far sure
1: as you said uh- I've been doing this for quite a while, many, many years, graduated with a degree in computer science, started out my career serving in the military for eight years. And right toward the end of that that experience, I was put in charge of a system that I had used as a user. I was now in charge of deploying it and supporting it in the field. And that's really driven a lot of my mindset as I think about things is I had the advantage on the back end of knowing exactly how the user used the system on the front end. And it's something I've taken with me along the way throughout my career. I've spent many years working as a system and network engineer, had my own company doing that, sold that off, and then moved back into software. And I've been in the security space. I've been in oil and gas. I've been in learning management systems. And now I'm in human resources. And I've done the small startup to the big corporate thing and the transitions in between. And really, at this point, in my career, what I find the most fun is that small, just past startup phase company, yes. 50 employees, a hundred, a few million dollars in revenue, trying to get to that next level, whatever that's defined as. And mm-hmm. that's where I find for myself personally, the most fun to be in. That's when you're really seeing the growth. You're really able to have a huge impact on a, on a team and make a lot of progress in that sense. Yes. Yeah.
0: As a CTO, having that control, I've been able to see the change that you make. It's obviously uh, really, really important for yourself. So working in that type of business from 50 to 100 or going through the scale up, maybe had some revenue, maybe a little bit of investment and being able to really affect where the business is going is a great place for you to be as a CTO, as you know, someone who is looking to help the business yeah, exactly. grow. Exactly. Exactly. You've worked across a number of different types of businesses, as you mentioned, enterprise, startup. You've you had your own business as well, majority based in Austin, where you are now. And and we, as we all know, the tech space globally, but in Austin is is really sort of taking off. There's startups popping up everywhere, investment coming in left, right, and centre. What is it about that, you know, the Austin tech market, the Austin tech scene that's sort of impressing you the most? Well, Austin as a city is is just a great city to be in, especially <laughs>
1: if you're a big fan of of live music like I am. Yeah. But in terms of the tech scene, uh, and I think this is probably true of a lot of tech communities, but it's the ability to have ideas. And there is a kind of built in network of people you can go to and bounce your ideas off of or discuss a problem. I've been in areas where it was not a heavy tech community, and if you had an issue, it was going to be the same six people every time. But here you get a a large variety of folks that are coming in. And because we do tend to – most Austinites are not from Austin. They're coming from somewhere else. But you get fresh ideas. You get new ideas coming in all the time. That really helps drive things. It really helps kind of burn your idea in a crucible as to whether or not it's, it's a viable one. And you get to meet lots of great people. You know, my philosophy is I, I like working with A players because they tend to attract other A players. They know other good people. I've had the advantage of, even in my current role, a lot of my references were previous people that I worked with, people that worked for me, and including my bosses in a tech community. You don't want to burn bridges. You yeah, don't, don't know, know if you're communicate to with these folks again. So it's, it's good to keep that network going.
0: We're seeing that a lot. Obviously, being a staffing business and trying to sort of embed ourselves within the community and within the tech scene, the amount of meetups there are, the amount of people that are willing to share information across you know, different businesses, it is really, really impressive. So, uh, and and that only actually helps for businesses to grow as well so it's helping each other um, you know businesses are exchanging ideas and it helps everyone sort of push forward because obviously if if you're trying to hold all the information in then you're only going to go so far because you only know what you know right so being able to have contemporaries that you can share information with is really really important so that's a really good marker of the austin tech community so obviously Mentioned earlier, you've worked across loads of different types of businesses, sizes, enterprise, startup. You've had your own startup, which was pretty successful. Looking at the success and failures of sort of startup business or scale up businesses, how can you best prepare a business for success? Or what sort of tips would you give if you're looking, obviously in that market you're in now, or maybe just just past startup, scale up phase? How can we best prepare for success? Yeah, it really boils down to the two most common mistakes that I see
1: businesses make that cause them to fail is one falling too in love with the technology. You want to do something because it's really, really cool. That's great. And there is a, an R&D component that you want to do that. But if you want to turn it into a viable business, you need to make sure it solves somebody's problem. And that's the area that I think a lot of businesses miss they have what they think is a good idea but they don't go out and test the market to find out is this a problem a lot of people have and that's what ends up happening they build a really great thing there's just no one out there and particularly for the tech people that are out there there is a tendency for the engineering type to say oh well you know if i build it and it's really cool and it's robust enough it will sell itself and no, if you don't have a good sales team, if you don't yeah. have a good marketing team, if you don't have that other half of the coin, then it won't matter. The The worst business advice is build a better mousetrap. No, yeah. the world is not going to beat a path to your door. You need to get out there and tell the world you have it. And it better it better be really good at catching mice, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> So that's that's where I would say is the biggest issues is for tech people. Make sure you're solving a business problem. If you solve the business problem, then how you do it technically almost won't matter.
0: The customers will want to buy your solution. We're seeing that so often with businesses, as you say, they build a really cool piece of tech, but then how do you get it out to the market? How do you get users interested? And then on the flip side to that, you sometimes see people pushing a product that maybe is not as great, but it's getting more success because they've actually got the sales function behind it and the marketing function. So that's that. The, I mean, that's really good advice. I mean, in terms of sort of scaling the team as well, because as you mentioned, you're in that space now where it's gone through startup to scale up your base. What is it that you look at? Because a lot of people that we speak to, I mean, we've had lots of conversations like this on the podcast and I'll speak to countless CTOs every day. Everyone's got a slightly different opinion, but sort of one thing that sort of swings around in when you're looking to scale a business is just not throwing heads or bodies at it. It's getting the right culture. How do you look at scaling your team at the moment? At, at Kazoo? What's the, you know, the first and foremost, these are the non-negotiables and then this is how we're going to build it.
1: Yeah, uh, some of the non-negotiables uh, at the end of the day, they have to be competent. You have to have the ability to write code, but it's amazing how many people I will be in an interview with and they just don't have the basic skill sets. This is an unforgiving job if you don't know what you're doing. So you have to be confident. That's kind of non-negotiable. But the good news is there's lots and lots of competent people out there. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it is sort of that culture fit and you look for someone that Depending on where you are in your business, in our particular case, we've we've currently got four teams and an architecture team. If you're coming into our organization, you're going to be one of a team of three to six individuals. You need to be able to work in that environment. It's not going to be you make all the decisions on your own. You've got to work with others. So the ability to work with other teams, the ability to work and communicate with other departments, I've been in companies that were purely engineering-led. I've been in companies that were purely product-led, some that were purely sales-led. And the reality is you have to understand what drives each of those and how to make those trades and balances. So in our particular case, we're notorious for taking a long time to hire someone. But once we hire them, they tend to be high performers The other aspect of that is we do actually measure the performance of our engineers, which I know having been in this for a a while, it was notorious that, hey, you can't really put metrics around engineering. And the reality is, yeah, you can, but you have to understand what those metrics mean. And you have to know that whether they're going – sometimes it's not the number itself that matters. It's whether that number is changing rapidly over a period of time. If we're used to a certain level of throughput and it suddenly drops off, as a manager, you have to go in and ask why. Well, maybe it's because everybody went on PTO or you shipped a big milestone and everybody's taking a break. That's perfectly acceptable. That's okay. And then to move forward that. The other that I, I look for is, you know, I look for someone that is hungry. Hungry in the sense that, yes, they want to learn, but they want to advance their career. As I said before, they have to be confident. they got to be smart, and they got to be curious. When you're in the world of startup and high growth, even past startup, if you're so afraid of what's next that you spend all your time trying to avoid failure, then you're not going to make it because someone else who's curious about what's next, not afraid of it, is going to be trying that thing. They yeah. may try five things and fail, then they're going to hit on that sixth one while you're still debating whether or not you do one thing
0: and that will move you forward. And that's kind of leftover from my military days as well. Yeah, of course. We're really a startup I and mean, we've been running for just over two years, and two and a half years now. And when we're looking into the business, it's about people that can grow with you as well, because you, know, you want someone who's got that ambition that can, as you say, go to the next level, build beneath you. And then obviously you can have succession planning in your business then, And then you can obviously move on to do another job as the business grows. So everyone's role has to keep evolving. And with that, you need people, as you say, who are curious, you know, hungry for that growth, ready to try new things because you say that, well, we've just seen, we've had a pandemic, right? And so that's sort of changed the way businesses work across all things. So all of a sudden your business has got to pivot and change, you know, maybe change direction. Having people that are ready to adapt to that is really really important, and that's just yeah. the well, tech team, that's it. Any,
1: it's it's very important to us because our business is how do you keep employees engaged in a company. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so
1: the whole rules of the game changed over the last year and a half. That is very much upfront and in
0: our face every day. How has the pandemic changed the business slightly, or you know, how did it affect you guys?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that every business struggled where a lot of their culture may have been based on physical proximity people were used to being at the office, working in a group or in a team in a certain area. And for us, there's two components of our software. One is performance management, where you set goals and OKRs and so on. And that part really hasn't changed because how businesses run around setting goals and trying to achieve them hasn't really changed. But the rewards and recognition piece, which was more directly impacting employees, we do a peer-to-peer recognition system. So if two employees work together on a sales call or they do something together on a project. They can actually reward each other with points and say, hey, thanks for helping me out on that. And here's some points they can keep those points, accumulate them, and then they can buy from our catalog of over three million items, uh, much like their own Amazon store in some ways. What that allows is it builds that informal network. Every company's got an org chart. Everybody knows who they report to. But there's all these informal networks of groups that there are legitimate reasons for them to be working together. I'm in technology. I'm in the technology org chart, but I work with finance a lot. I yeah. work with customer support a lot. So There's not a formal structure, but there is that there. You can get that fabric and that feedback from your peers, and it's just proven people actually like recognition from a coworker More so than just that employee of the month or the award coming down from on high. Yeah, those are nice, but it's also nice when other people just day-to-day recognize the efforts you're putting in each and every day and and it's very satisfying. As people have scattered and they're working from home, a mechanism like this is something that helps maintain that culture that it used to be. You might get the pat on the back from somebody sitting next to
0: you. Now you can at least get it, uh, still maintain that level of activity there is nothing better than getting a pat on the back for something from someone and as you say using this platform and the way that you've structured it breaks down barriers within the business as well because you say you're not siloed to your one business unit you're working with other people so then you can reward those guys and say thank you for the work they've done and it just builds that better better culture for the business i suppose It's, it's more inclusive
1: it helps people to be engaged in the business i mean positive reinforcement has proven to be a good thing but you're engaged in the business. And it's well known, there's multiple studies that engaged employees perform better. So it's for a business to have their employees engaged.
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic platform and doing some great stuff. I mean, I've gone over some really interesting topics there, and I really appreciate your time. I suppose for me, one of the things I always like to ask is as someone who's been in the industry for 20 plus years, you've gained a wealth of knowledge and, and experiences. What piece of advice would you give? to other, you know, CTOs, aspiring CTOs, heads of engineering, whoever it might be, that is, you know, looking to build a new tech function or or going through the startup phase?
1: I would say learn how to speak the language of the other departments. Learn what's important to them. There's too much of a tendency at times on the engineering side to be, to, oh, if I just give them all the technical facts, they will clearly see the next step that we need to do. And thing is, if they're not technical in nature, they're just going to hear buzzwords. So yeah. you need to learn how to talk to the finance person. You need to learn how to talk to the sales or even your CEO and understand how to express things in a way that is meaningful for them. Because if you just go to them and say, well, I need this widget because it has so many of these, you know, really highly technical term measurements, they're not going to care. But if you tell the CFO but it's gonna allow me to double our productivity in six months, it's gonna allow me to cut costs or it's gonna allow our revenue to go up. Mm -hmm. Those are things they care about. So that would be the, the part of it. Yes, you need to know the technical side, you need to understand the latest trends and languages and technologies that are out there. But the other half of that is
0: understanding the rest of the business. 100%. 100%. I think that's that's a great piece of advice for anyone. Obviously, being able to explain the benefits of what you're doing to different people. And then if, if everyone understands where you're going with the business or the reason why you're doing it, then as you say, it brings that culture together, puts everyone on the same road. So yeah, I yeah. think that's a good piece of advice. You plant the flag
1: on the top of the mountain. You may have yeah. to take multiple trails to get there, but everybody knows where you're going.
0: Exactly. Whereas I had an expression yesterday, which was quite good. Generally, roads on a map look pretty straight from you know north to south, whatever else. But if you're driving, it's never just you're still right. You always you're still doing lots of turns. So there's always going to be little junctions you've got to make or changes. And having everyone on the same trajectory or in the same mindset of knowing where the business is going can only help you get to where you're going much quicker, right? So um, yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice. And then one more thing before we wrap up is technology is changing all the time. You know, there's always new different platforms, ways of working, new technologies coming out. What solution or way of working or what piece of tech do you see that's going to make a big impact moving forward? What have you got your eye on?
1: It's not necessarily new in that it's been a buzzword for a couple of years, but its adoption is not as as new. I, I really think more and more serverless. Yeah, Uh, is really what I see as the more practical thing over the next five years to to start taking up. You're seeing a lot of businesses move to it now, you're seeing a lot of businesses talk about it. But I also still get a lot of our clients that, you know, our architecture is that way. And I'll get a lot of clients that say, well, where are your servers located? What are they, what operating system they're running? It's like, no, that's not even applicable. It's, It's a different world. The reason for that is the technology's there, what I see a lot of people doing now is they're using that technology, but still designing it out of the classic sense. So they're not fundamentally building their software from the ground up to be in this new paradigm. And that wave is just really starting to roll out into practical products today. I think that's where it's gonna explode because when you truly build a product to be completely serverless, to be a microservice, to be fully cloud-based, you're thinking about how to build it is so different yeah I mean, it's not the language it's not the latest framework you know frameworks come and go all the time it's that fundamental shift that i think is as much of a shift as we had a few years back when, when things went from procedural coding to object-oriented.
0: It's that much of a fundamental change to how things are coded. We've seen a lot of companies looking to move towards serverless environment, obviously cloud adoption, microservices. So yeah, we're going to see more and more of it as well. So yeah, thanks very much for that, Mike. As I say, really, really appreciate your time today. Really, really insightful. And look, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick.